0: Good morning, everyone. As Pastor Matt uh, mentioned, my name is uh, Craig Whiteford. I'm an elder here, and I have the distinct pleasure and honor to bring you the message today. Um, I also am a husband to my beautiful wife, Hope, who did the announcements this morning, and to my three wonderful children, Gabriel, Emma, and Nora, Of course, I mess up Gabriel's name. (laughs) For my career, I lead a large group of R&D scientists, and we make infectious disease diagnostics. Um, We make things like COVID tests. We also make things for sepsis detection and other things. So I had the pleasure of, of doing that as well. I have a question for you. What if I were to tell you there's one action you could do more in your life that would bring you improved physical health, increase your empathy towards others, reducing aggression, help you to sleep better, improve your self-esteem, mental strength, and I'm not talking about diet and exercise. As diet and exercise can cause those positive outcomes, that is one way that they can do it, but there's another way that you can have those positive outcomes. Are you interested in finding out about more? And if you are, let's see a show of hands. Because this is science, not tabloid news. And just as a clarification, I view pure science as a servant of God. God is the author of truth. And science is the discipline that strives to define that truth through observation. And let me put it into a scientific context. There's a stress hormone known as cortisol. When it's at chronically high levels, that means continually high levels, it can cause a variety of health problems. It can increase depression, weight gain, It can cause digestive problems, sleep issues, high blood pressure, and even heart disease. However, at low levels, cortisol is good because it induces the fight and flight feelings that we get. That helps us to avoid danger. Like when you're backpacking, and you come across a bear, and your mind starts to tell you you want to run, your heart starts racing and it feels like it's in your heart. That's cortisol working. That's a good thing. But don't fret, because you don't need to outrun the bear, you just need to outrun your fellow backpackers. (laughs) And if your backpackers are carrying wood, firewood, or a chair, you know you have bear bait with you, so you're good. That's usually what I look for. (laughs) Kidding aside, Um, The practice of gratitude in your life reduces chronically high levels of cortisol. Let me say that again. The practice of gratitude in your life reduces those chronically high levels of cortisol. Gratitude is not something that can be manifested by us. It is an instinct of the heart nourished by Christ. This spiritual habit reduces biological traps. I want to highlight something here before I told you, diet and exercise is something physical that you can do to have positive impacts. What I'm talking about here is something spiritual you can do to have physical positive impacts. There's a direct relation to this and many other spiritual habits and disciplines that can have a better overall positive impact to your health. As you choose gratitude, high levels of cortisol and their damaging effects loosen their hold on your life. In the parable that we're going to read today, Laborers in the Vineyard, we will discover the poisonous impact of prideful expectation that results from a life dictated by complaining. Amen? Complaining has that negative aspect. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we read his word. Lord, we thank you for how beautifully and wonderfully we are made. You are a powerful and gracious God who spoke all things into existence except us. For us, you came down out of your throne room to form us from the dirt with your hands as a potter molds clay. You formed us in your likeness and image. And when we disobeyed you, you put into motion a plan before time to send your one and only son to take our sin and clothe us in his righteousness. We are eternally grateful for your abounding grace and generosity. As we turn to your word, we ask that you send your spirit amongst us to give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word not mine, and that you give us strength to enable it to richly dwell within our hearts, to transform our thinking, feelings, and actions, to bring glory to you all of our days on this earth. Amen, amen. As we learned previously from Pastor Matt, parables were a way in which um, Jesus used to reflect everyday life, to highlight the truths of the kingdom of heaven. The parable of laborers in the vineyard is found only in Matthew, and which is a gospel primarily written to a Jewish audience. We have to ask the question, why is this here? What is it teaching us? That helps us to give an understanding and be able to interpret this appropriately. If we look back in Matthew 19, and if you're using a Bible on the back, this is page 825. We look at Matthew chapter 19, 27 through 30, and we'll see a little bit of the context as to why Jesus gives us this parable. And this is an interaction between Peter and the disciples With Jesus, after he talks about the rich young man and tells him, with God, all things are possible. And Jesus responds to Jesus, saying, See, we've left everything and followed you. So what will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things... When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everything, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or children or fields because of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. In this text, we see Peter representing the disciples and is asking what earthly reward Jesus will give him for all the sacrifices they have given and done for him. Notice how Jesus graciously answers Peter's question. And addresses his prideful assertion. Don't you love Peter? He has a lot of prideful assertions I can identify with him by saying, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. In Jesus' response, he tells Peter and the rest of the disciples how he will generously return everything they have sacrificed a hundredfold and generously bestow upon them eternal life. But, the word that always applies, the breaks and everything. You look for the but, because it's going to change something. You disciples who were first need to realize there are more coming later. And you will struggle with your pride, thinking you are better or more important. But you will all, inherit eternal life, amen, amen. So as we, as we look at this, we see, as we turn to the scriptures on the parable of laborers, I just want you to understand what I feel the main point of this parable is as we read it, and that is God is gracious and generous with his people, even latecomers. Our response to God's grace should be humility and gratitude. So let's read the scripture Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, the parables of labors in the vineyard. It starts out for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them out into his vineyard for the day. He went out about nine in the morning. He saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, You also go into my vineyard, and I'll give you whatever is right. So they went off. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one will hire us, they said. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, Call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So those are the workers that had worked one hour. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more. But they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat? He replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what is yours and go. I want to give this last man the same thing as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first last. Amen. In this, in this very first verse, we see Jesus likening the kingdom of heaven to a vineyard. And grapes at the time were a very important crop to the Israelites. And also throughout the Bible, the Israelites are referred to as the vine or vineyard of God. The hired workers are brought into the vineyard to tend and keep the vineyard, much in the same way Adam was to tend and keep the garden in his works covenant with God. Our work is our primary way we can glorify God. He has created everything and created man in his likeness and image. Therefore, all that we have as far as knowledge, skills, and abilities were created by God and given to us as a blessing in this world, which should be used to reveal and glorify God. This is important so let me state it a different way as a Christian in the kingdom of heaven we ought to recognize our total dependence upon God in that everything we are and have is a gift from him so we ought to glorify and praise him in the big things such as careers and hobbies All those big things are constructed of much smaller moments. A heart truly set on daily glorifying God is also a heart that instinctively finds ways to praise Him in the waking moments. In food they eat, in the convenience they're privileged to, in who they talk to, praising Him in all circumstances, and even the difficult ones, as Pastor Matt mentioned this morning. Amen? One of my favorite scenes, and now I'm going to date myself a little bit, in Chariots of Fire is where Eric Little is being reprimanded by his sister for neglecting his responsibilities before God as he devotes his focus towards competitive running. Little responds to her and says, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. What I personally find enlightening about this scene is the beauty of our giftings. It's not only what they allow us to do, but who they connect us to. And who they connect us to deepens our, deepens and diversifies our understanding of God's manifold wisdom in creation. All his many works will praise him. And the varieties of gifts and skills he's appointed and apportioned to us are avenues for glorifying him. For me, I get a glimpse of the beauty and the complexity of life at the micro level, through my love of science, and at the macro level, from my love of triathlons. I also get to experience these through a diverse set of lenses by the people around me, and how they view it, and how they see things. I get to interact with them and see the many diversities. It's a wonderful thing we serve a God of infinite glories and we can experience him in vastly different ways that engage our bodies our minds our hearts and our spirit therefore God has generously gifted us so let's use each of those gifts to glorify him with gratitude in our hearts and this is seen in Peter, it's further underscored in Peter 4:10. You see it up on the screen now. each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. It's telling us that God has given us those gifts to serve others as a faithful steward. And His grace comes in various forms, and so do those gifts. What an amazing thing. He's thought of everything. I also find it interesting in this scene from Chariots of Fire that maybe Eric's sister is envious of Eric's gift to run or the fame that it brings him. She is cloaking her envy in Christianese by telling him he's neglecting his responsibilities before God. Being envious of how God has chosen others to display his glory and carry out his grace because we want that honor and that gifting ourselves is such a wretched, twisted mindset. And yet, we've all done it at one time or another. We've fallen into this trap. I know I have. So it would be prudent to examine ourselves through prayer and meditation, our thinking in a potential envious situation, as this action will inform us about who we truly think we are and what we deserve. So, turning back to the scriptures in verses 1 and 2, we see God's sovereign grace here. As a landowner goes out early in the morning, you could see a man going out early, and I often see the sun coming up over the horizon, blinding me as he's walking into this village to go find the workers. And why is it sovereign grace? because he goes out to find, he goes out to choose, and he goes out to hire. It's all him doing this. And he goes there to call them into his vineyard to do the work. And the other beautiful thing is his call is effectual. It works. They go without question. They go willingly to serve him. Also, to give you a little bit of background, it says they agreed on one denarius. A denarius was the common fair market value for the work that they do in a day. At that time, it was worth about a penny. And those workers work from day to day. They don't have a continual stream of income that we're blessed with, and and many of us are. They had to work that day and pay at the end of the day to be able to survive. And I find it very interesting that there was shrewd negotiation that went on because they agreed with the workers on one denarius. So the landowner knew the fair market value was a denarius for the work. But the workers also knew what they had to offer. So they're willing to negotiate with the landowner back and forth on what is fair and what is right. So they have confidence in their skills and their abilities to be able to do what he's asking them to do. Now let's look at verses three and four to look at the other ones he goes. So he went out about nine. So the the start of the day was 6 a.m., the end of the day was 6 p.m. So he goes out three hours later about nine and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he said to them, you also go in my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So they went off. What's interesting here is the level of confidence of these workers wasn't the same as the ones prior. They didn't negotiate anything. They trusted him because he said he'll give them whatever is right. So they had trust within him that he would do what's right. And They went in the vineyard without another word. It's very interesting to see these different workers. Now, if we look at verses 5 and 7, about noon and about 3, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about 5, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said. And you also go into my vineyard, he told them. So that the ones that he hired at noon, the ones that he hired at three, had a similar level of trust in the landowner. They don't negotiate on what's fair. They trust in him. They trust in his benevolence due to the lack of negotiation. But they still also go into the vineyard without a word. And finally, the 5 p.m. workers one hour left in the day. They have the least amount of confidence in the value that they have and in their skills. They are so demoralized that they, they don't try to find work. If you look there, the landowner addresses them, their idleness. Why have you been standing around all day long? You can't find anything else to do? And what do they do? It's not my fault. No one will hire us. It's it's their fault. I don't want to take responsibility. No, no, it's them. They wouldn't hire us. I'm willing to be hired, but they wouldn't hire us. That's shirking their responsibility. But the gracious, sovereign grace of the landowner, he generously lavishes and extends a call to them, even them who lack confidence in their gifts, and it's effectual because they go into the vineyard without a word. The good news here is that while there is still life in the body, hope prevails. True repentance is never too late, as even the 11th hour worker Is called however none are hired at the 12th hour let's look at verse 8 when evening came the owner of the vineyard told his foreman call the workers and give them their pay starting with the last and ending with the first our God is so good and gracious he helps us with our sanctification journey, which is basically our lives. We are being sanctified. We are construction work ongoing. At least I know in my life. Our sanctifi- to, to work out our sanctification in fear and trembling. He does this by pressure testing our faith. In ways that reveal the sin within our hearts. For example, the landowner had his foreman pay the last workers first and the first workers last. I believe this was done to reveal any jealousy or self-righteousness that was in the hearts of the first set of workers directed towards the latter workers. I know in, in my job, I often monitor and look for leadership skills in times of pressure. Because those are the times that reveal the confidence that people have in their skills and abilities to lead others through difficult times. These times can also identify underlying problems in their leadership deficiencies, such as a lack of knowledge, lack of humility, arrogance, or the blame game, which we saw before, which is not taking responsibilities for your actions, Oh, we're not hired because no one will hire us. Well, what, what does that mean? I mean, you're not taking responsibility. What are you doing to be hired? What are you doing to find work? That helps me to understand what it is that I need to work with with that individual or if they're ready for that position. And let's see how God's pressure testing revealed what what it revealed in the hearts of those workers. And we look at verses nine and twelve. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first ones came they assumed they would get more. But when they received a denarius, they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour. You made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. This response hits me square in the face. I'll explain why. Because I have the tendency to overinflate the value of my contributions to a project since i didn't fully understand the scope of what role i played in the project as opposed to someone else and this is underscored in deuteronomy 8:14 and 17 through 18 Be careful that your heart does not become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. As you may say to yourself, my power and my ability have gained this wealth for me. But remember that the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. In order to confirm his covenant, he swore to your ancestors as it is today. He's telling us not to forget what he's done, and he's given us everything. He's taken us out of Egypt, he's taken us out of slavery, and freed us. He's given us the power to earn wealth, he's given us knowledge, skills, and abilities. And he's saying, don't forget where that came from and what it's for. To bring glory to me and to reveal who I am. We also see that the workers do not appreciate the situation, do not approach this situation with Humility. In order to further understand their role they played versus the others, they are more than, there is more than likely far greater things at play than simply what is fair and unfair. I need to hear this several times in my own life. There is more than likely far greater things at play than simply what is fair and unfair. The workers are robbing themselves of satisfaction in work, joy and reward, gratitude and provision by making assumptions as to what they deserve to receive. This ignorant and prideful comparison comes from an envious heart. And that pride crowds out the knowledge of their total dependence on God. Thus, blocking any humility and blocking any potential gifts of logic and reasonableness that God may have lavishly bestowed upon them to glorify him. However, when I'm focused on the joy of the Lord with an attitude of gratitude, my response and ability to handle a potential injustice situation is very different, and the outcome is most certainly one that would glorify God. So what does this look like? How can I do this? We find this in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. It's beautiful how God gave us a situation, and he knows we're going to get in these situations. He gives us how we can meditate and find the way out of those situations that will honor and glorify Him. So when you get into those situations, remember this verse. Meditate on this verse because it's key. And it's Paul that gives us this verse from jail. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice As we look to the joy of the Lord, he says, rejoice in all things. And let your reasonableness, which is a gift from God, your ability to balance grace and truth in a given situation and interactions with people, let it be known. Because God is at hand. What does that mean? Does that mean that I need to be afraid because God is there? No, it means that he's alongside of you to help you. Because the very next verse, he knows that you're going to be anxious about these situations. Who loves conflict? No one. He knows you're going to be anxious. But he's, going to, he's saying in prayer and supplication, that means asking. Let your request be known to me. I'm here. Right alongside of you. I know what's going on ask me, and I will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. What does that mean? The peace of the world is peace that is in the absence of conflict. The peace of God is peace in the conflict. And that's the difference. That's why it surpasses all understanding, because you can't understand it. You think, Peace is when nothing is going on, and everything is just fine. But that peace that God gives you is in that situation. So then you can let your reasonableness be known to everyone, and known who gave you that, to restore the glory and to give the glory back to Him. Because that peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Because in those situations of anxiety, That cortisol and endorphins are running crazily and sometimes you can lose your thinking and your humility and you can get very angry. As we practice gratitude, it will guard our hearts and minds from grumbling and complaining. So let's turn and look at my final point of the landowner. This is an amazing response the landowner represents if you haven't already figured that one out represents god he replied to one of them friend i'm doing you no wrong didn't you agree with me on a denarius this verse reminds me of what we read in Matthew 19 it's one of them peter was one of the disciples Representing the disciples. He's speaking to the one that's the representative of the workers. Very similar to what happened with Peter. He calls them friend. They're not enemies. He's not pointing to the Pharisees and Sadducees, which were his enemies. He's saying friend. Those are his disciples. We're his disciples. And he reminds them of their agreement. You agreed to work for this. You agreed to follow me. He is just and will generously give them a reward. He gives them their denarius. He will return a hundredfold back to the disciples that give up, or any of us that give up things in his name. The problem here is that their pride has blinded them so that they don't see that Christ alone is so much more than any earthly reward they agreed to this is highlighted by paul in philippians 3 paul was a man who had it all he was trained by gammaliel which was one of the local pharisees that was well known he was a rising star so if you look at it in, in corporate sense, you would call this person a high potential. He's the highest of high potentials. They were giving him all kinds of accolades for who he was. Look at what he says in this verse. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. All those worldly things, he's saying, they're worthless. And they're a loss, and it's a good thing. I have gained Christ, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's our great pearl of great price. We also see in verse 15 that God is generous. Are you jealous because I'm generous? Are you jealous because I'm generous? The word jealous here is translated as evil eye, denoting an envious and jealous feeling or attitude towards someone. The worker's grumbling, complaining is rooted in bitterness that comes from an obsessive, envious comparison of one's work to another. And is also pointed towards the landowner because of the unexpected generosity given to those who in their minds performed less than they did. He's also generous. We look in verse 15 as we read on. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. This is good news. The fact that everyone receives a generous, whether working 12 hours or one hour, tells us that God generously rewards us through his sovereign grace and not out of indebtedness. He doesn't doesn't owe us anything. He does it through his sovereign grace. This joyous news in that even those who are called in the last hour, albeit their work may be incomplete, but if done in sincerity, it shall not only be accepted by God, but will be generously rewarded. Amen? Amen. And in verse 16, we see a gracious God. So the last will be first and the first last. Careful not to twist this into a works mentality where you become a martyr or a doormat to everyone else. It's not what it's about. It's more about a disciple of Jesus should not measure his or her worth by comparing it with the accomplishments and sacrifices of others, but should focus on serving from a heart of gratitude in the response to God's grace. Jesus is not denying the degrees of reward in heaven, but affirming that God's generosity is more abundant than anyone would expect. Thus warning his disciples, they should not despise those who would come later. And those who came later are us. Amen. God is good. To illustrate how lavish is God's grace and generosity, we need to look no further than the array of colors he painted this world with. Here's a coral reef tank. Just look at the beauty and the detail God created. It's astounding to think the contrast, the depth, the vividness of colors arrayed in these various coral species. It's magnificent. Just think for a moment, if he lavishly colored the corals, how much more would he lavishly and generously and graciously bestow blessings upon the creature that he formed from dirt with his own hands in his likeness and image? It's amazing to think how he's colored them. And everything in this tank is alive. He's numbered every hair on your head. He knows you inside and out. And as we learned in Philippians, he's right here. He's not distant, he's Emmanuel. God with us. So I'd like to call up the worship team, and I'd like to leave you with a question. How do we counteract the feelings of jealousy towards latecomers in the faith? By praising God. He's called us early in the day. And that we are indwelt with his Holy Spirit from that time forth. Remembering all the while that Jesus is our hidden treasure, our pearl of great value. So let this final verse dwell in you richly to bring you joy and an attitude of gratitude for all that God has done for you. Can you stand as I read this verse? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me.